Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to two places, Joshua chapter 4 and 1 Samuel chapter 7. Joshua chapter 4 and 1 Samuel chapter 7 in a Bible study that I've entitled Remembering Where We Came From. Remembering Where We Came From. You know, I praise God for new beginnings. I praise God for changes. I praise God for his faithfulness. We're to remember where we came from and rejoice in the faithfulness of God at every stage of life. Now, we're not always so excited about new beginnings and we're not so, always so excited about changes, but God uses them to remind us of his faithfulness. And it's just too easy for us as believers to forget, to forget the faithfulness of God, to forget where we came from and what God has done in our lives. For some of us, it's easy to forget the muck and mire of sin that God delivered us from. That's why it's important to continually share your testimony. Tell people what God has done. Because as you share your testimony, you're like all tripping out on what God did in your life. You're like, there'll be times when you're sharing your testimony and you're like, that's my life. That is what God done, has done in my life. And people need to hear what God has done in our lives. For some, you forget the faithfulness of God in letting you grow up in a very godly home where you had godly parents and that you were raised to love God from a very early age. You forget what a gift from God that really is. And not many people experience that. You know, whether it's forgetting where you came from in terms of difficulty or forgetting where you came from in terms of good things, the essence is it's just too easy to forget the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and the graciousness of God and his great love for us. This was such an issue on the heart of the Apostle Peter that you can jot it down. He wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, and I'll read to you from the New Living. He says, I plan to keep on reminding you of these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth. Yes, I believe I should keep on reminding you of these things as long as I live. But the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that my days here on earth are numbered and I'm soon to die. So I'll work hard to make sure these things are clear to you. I want you to remember them long after I'm gone. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to keep on reminding you. And then I'm going to write it down after I die so you'll never forget the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And so too we as a church family. Uh, this coming December will be a church family for 19 years. Uh, my family, the five of us, moved out here in 1999, expectant and hopeful to be a part of what God would want to do in the city of Aurora. And we were eyes wide open, ready to do and ready to be and ready to go and ready to surrender to anything that the Lord had for us. And now here we are many years later enjoying the grace of God and the goodness of God. It hasn't been without warfare. It hasn't been without criticism. It hasn't been without spiritual attacks. It hasn't been without all the craziness that it takes to stay strong and all the attacks that come and all the, just the, the wildness of life because, because God, he wants to reach a city and the devil doesn't want the city reached. And there's always this cosmic battle. And as I look back, I'm encouraged. 
As I look back, I'm, I, I am built up. And as I see what God is doing today, it's so glorious and wonderful. And it gives me great hope for the future. But I also recognize that many of you don't have a frame of reference many times that I have. Because this is where you recognize this fellowship family. You walked into this building, which is about 12 years old. We've been worshiping in this property now for about 12 years. So that when I use different illustrations in our Bible studies, they just can't, they're not so relatable to you. You know, when, when I mention meeting in the basement of that Baptist church, when, when I mention the Episcopal church, when I mention the school, when I mention the cafe that we used to have across the street next to the movie theater, when I mention the upstairs room at New Life, those were all formative times in our church, but many of you weren't with us back then. This is what you know. And there were those times when we didn't have technology. There were those times when we didn't have these comfortable seats. I don't know the last time you thanked God for the comfortable seats, but these are what we used to sit in right here. Anybody happen to sit in the chairs we put out? Anybody sitting in one of these right now? No, right now, because we put them out right now. Are you sitting in them? Because in about five minutes, you're going to stand up because your back is going to start to hurt so bad. Because, and back then, man, I taught a lot longer than I do now. And so there would be, always be the guys with bad backs. You always knew the men with bad backs because at about five or ten minutes into the message, they would get up and go stand in the back because these things hurt. But none of you, you know, many of you don't have that frame of reference. Uh, and you've been in this church for a while, and I'm sure you've asked, what in the world? What are those chairs? And why are they here? They don't seem to fit. Well, as you'll learn in a moment, these are memorial stones, these chairs. We don't want to forget where we came from. We, we don't want to be lost in what God is doing now, forgetting about his faithfulness in the past. And so we brought, when we left the school, we asked for permission to bring one chair of every color with us. And they gladly gave us one chair of every color. There's a one, they took it out for this service, for the services this weekend, but I have one in my office that I see every day I'm in my office reminding me of the faithfulness of God. That lest I doubt that God is faithful and lest I doubt in the warfare and in the attacks and in the battle that, that there is for the souls of men, lest I get my eyes off the Lord, there's always that blue chair in the corner. Surrounded with USC Trojan gear, but the, tro the chair is there. Reminding me, you know, God, you are so faithful. You are so good. I, I don't know about you, but standing up here, as I was standing up here singing, that last song was hard to sing. I'm standing here just thinking, I'm listening to the lyrics, and, and I am, I'm crying out, oh, I will not fear. And that's good standing here right now, but I've faced a lot of things that have given me great fear. We'll see in a moment, the children of Israel were very fearful. That's a, real, that's a real emotion, you know. And I'm sure some of you had to sing that song as I did by faith. <laughs> I was like, man, I don't want to fear, but I know it's coming around the corner. I know some circumstance. I know some enemy. I know some difficulty is going to be right up in my grill. And the temptation will be to fear and not trust the Lord. But you know, God is faithful. Even in our fears. Even in our anxieties. And the things that we think we need are actually not needs at all, most likely. Like you came here desperate today, in different various forms. There is a circumstance, a situation, a person, a people, a difficulty, whatever it is, as we all go through things. And it's brought you into a place of desperation. You just don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know how it's gonna turn out. 
And what that's turned into is, well, Lord, if I just have this, then things will be just fine. If I could just talk to them, if I could just reason with them, if I could just have that money, if I could just move here, if I could just, and all of the answers, which may just be a part of God's answer, are on your heart and on your mind, and you have come to the place where you think, if you have it, things will be well. But you see, God has allowed the circumstance in your life to bring about a desperation, not that you would be desperate for something, but that you would be desperate for someone. You see, you can still get what you think you need and find out that's not what you needed at all. You can still get the answer to your heart's desire and find out that it still leaves you wanting. It still leaves you in that place of need because what you need is not something, friends. What you need is someone. And so we look to two places in the Bible today of instructions to not forget. It's such a key to our faith walk. And you know, we love the past here in our church. I love it. It's formative in my life. But we live the future. We look forward to what he wants to do. It's important for us to celebrate what God has done, but also recognize that he's preparing us for what he wants to do. Because he's not done. God is not done in your life. He's not done in the life of this church. That he still has this radical desire that he has placed in our hearts to reach the lost. To go after those that are hurting. Those that are separate from God. And to preach the gospel to them. Not preaching a church. Not preaching a man. Not preaching a movement. Not preaching religion. But pointing people to who died on the cross for them. And paid for the final satisfactory price for sin in their lives. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. The only source of everything your heart desires. So notice with me in Joshua chapter 4. In verse 1. It came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe. And command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's foot stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel." that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Verse 21. And when he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask and their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God, notice that word Lord is in all capital letters, for Jehovah your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he had dried up before us and he had crossed over that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The children of Israel have come the second generation out of the wilderness wandering and have entered into the promised land when they come up to the Jordan River at flood stage. They were unable to cross over because it was so high and rapid. 
But God came through and he gave them instruction. He told the priests, put your feet in the moving water. You just walk forward. And when you take the step, I will be there. And they did that. They took the step and the waters parted and the children of Israel passed through. Now that they've passed through, God is saying to them, I don't want you to ever forget this. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget what I've done for you in the Jordan. Don't ever forget you were facing an impossibility. Don't ever forget that I showed up. Don't ever forget the, pri- the, the value of faith and obedience. Don't ever forget it. So take these stones and set them up so that when people see them, you'll remember my faithfulness. Notice, not just at the Jordan, but also at the Red Sea. Because this goes back to the generation that was delivered from bondage. So these stones are a remembrance of the deliverance of God, of the faithfulness of God, of the, of the wonderful joy of a faith-filled life, of putting your whole life, everything that you are, laying it before God and trusting and surrendering your life to him. Don't forget that. So put these stones up. And there's a specific reason that he adds here. And he says, look, I just don't want you to forget, but I want you to set these stones up because when your kids ask, I want you to tell them about my faithfulness. I want you to share the story. As a matter of fact, I see a point here where there's an instruction to set these up so that the kids would ask, so that it would stir up in their children. What's going on here? Why are these rocks here? I don't understand, dad. And dad sits down their kid and say, listen, son, let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. Let me tell you when we came to the Jordan River. Let me tell you about your grandpa who was over at the Red Sea. But let me tell you more than anything of the faithfulness of God. You know, I read a lot. Um, I read a lot of books on ministry. I read a lot of articles. I, I read a lot because I want to keep up on what's going on in our culture. I want to keep up and make sure the Bible is relevant to our day. And I, I want to know what's happening in the church. I, I, and so I read a lot. And, and let me just say this. If I read another article on hearing about how the generation, junior high, high school, and college kids are, are we're losing those generations to this world. If, and, and, and if I read another article about them, I, I'm just, I, it's, it's just so frustrating to me because it hurts me to hear that we're losing our kids. It hurts me. Our kids. These are our kids. If you just knew what our full-time youth pastors deal with day after day and week after week with our kids and the kids of our community, it's painful. These are our kids. This is, you know, when I think of this church family, I'm responsible not just for you, but for your family before the Lord. And sometimes in those articles, they go, it's the church's fault. It's the church's fault. It's the church's fault. You know, listen, we take that seriously. I don't know what is the church's fault and what isn't the church's fault, but I'll tell you what, we are diligently praying how to better come alongside of you to disciple your kids. I don't want it to be our fault. But might I add, as a pastor, it's not the church's fault. Because according to the Bible, the primary discipleship of children is from their parents. You are the one, single mom, single dad. You are the ones, mom and dad. You are the ones, blended family, that are primarily responsible to disciple the next generation. It is your responsibility to train your kids in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart. We as a church family are to come alongside of you, to equip you, to encourage you, to teach you the Bible, to pray with you, to help you. 
And here God says, look, set the stones up because I want you to tell your kids about me. I want you to remind your kids that they, that they can trust me. I want you them to know that when they come to an impossibility, I'm the God of the impossibility. I want them to know that you experienced it and that they can experience it too. Because here's what happens, guys. This is what happens. There is a first generation of believers in any family. I happen to be uh, the first generation of really born again a believer in my family, even though we went to church growing up. I'm the first, I represent the first generation where we were born again and we're gonna raise our kids in the ways of the Lord and we're gonna walk in the ways of the Lord and I'm gonna train, I may not do a good job at it, but that's my goal, that's what I wanna do and that's what Marie and I decided to do. We are going to be the catalyst of change in our generation. Everything's gonna change going downward and everything's gonna change going backward as I began to share the gospel of my parents and as we raised our children. And what happened with Marie and I, with such a dramatic testimony, is that we both heard of the goodness of God and radically experienced it. I mean radically. My life is 180 degrees different than when I was saved. It is, that old, that Ed is dead. And be grateful you never met him. He was a bad dude and not a person to be around. Filled with sin and rebellion and resistance and everything you can think of drunken, angry, everything about that. I'm so grateful that Ed is dead. We're going to keep him buried. Ed is a new man. You got to meet him. He's sort of a problem too, but he's much better than the old Ed because we all walk in the flesh, right? Flesh lust against the spirit. We all have that. I experienced, I heard about the Lord and I experienced it. That's how the first generation out of Egypt came out. They heard of the Lord and they experienced it. They went through it. They were there when the water parted. They experienced it. But you know what happens in the second generation? Well, typically what happens in the second generation, like my kids, like my kids, we raised our kids in the ways of the Lord to avoid the stupidity that we got into. We, we wanted them to avoid all of the pain and the suffering and the difficulties. We wanted to equip them to resist the temptations to, to walk in the ways of the Lord, to trust him when things are, are difficult. And what that opened up was, is that my kids, well, if I wasn't careful, they would only hear of the faithfulness of God, but not experience it personally. And so one of the things that we did with our family is that at age-appropriate levels, we shared our testimony with our kids. I mean, for goodness sake, we had to explain to Eddie very early on why he was at our, in our wedding picture and explain to him how backwards things were and how I took advantage of his mom and how it was difficult to be teenage parents and how had God not entered in, we wouldn't be together. And with my children, my son Josh, my, my daughter Katie, we began to tell them at a very early age, you are a miracle kids. You are miracle kids because God did a miracle in keeping us together and if Marie and I, we, your mom and I wouldn't have got married, you would not exist today. You would not be here, literally. You wouldn't be alive. You wouldn't be a thought. And to allow them, to give them the opportunity to face temptation, to know the what, so that the second generation would hear and experience. But you know, by the third generation, if, if, you don't, if you're not careful, parents, by the third, your grandkids and your great-grandkids, man, they may never hear of the faithfulness of God or experience it. Because that was the way that the children of Israel went. By the third, fourth generations, they're idolaters completely turned their back because they neither heard nor experienced. That's what we're studying through the kings right now. Rampant 
idolaters in just a few generations. And so setting up these memorial stones are intended to prepare you to train your children in the way you should go. And let me just say this. You can train your children. There are some listening. You can train your children in the way they should go, and they may still go off. And you just need us to keep praying for them. They may become a prodigal. And maybe you're listening to me right now, and you're taking some burden of condemnation about your prodigal kids. Don't. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. We just need to be praying for them, praying that they return praying that in the experience of this dark, dirty, ugly world, they'll find out that Jesus is all they need, just like you did. And so these memorial stones, don't forget, I brought you through. God can make a way where there is no way. You come to church today with an impossibility, there's just no way, it's just I don't see how it's gonna happen. Listen, God can make a way where there is no way. And that's why you put up these stones of remembrance. Turn over to 1 Samuel now, chapter seven, would you please? 1 Samuel chapter 7. Because we have another time in the nation of, of Israel's history where they're told to do something to remind themselves. They're, they're told to set up memorials and remembrances. Notice with me in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, verse 1. And the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And then Samuel spoke. This is the prophet Samuel standing up for righteousness. He speaks to all the house of Israel saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord. And serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. So the nation was in need of repentance, idolatrous and and rebellious, and the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, now it's been returned. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, that's where he would show up to meet the people. But they had looked at the Ark of the Covenant as some kind of little good luck charm, and God is getting their attention to say, no, 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 you don't worship idols, you don't even worship the Ark, you worship me. And Samuel calls them to repentance, and they do. Notice, verse seven. Now when the Philistines heard, and by the way, the Philistines is a group of people that were enemies of God. And we all have Philistines in our lives. Is there an amen to that? We all have enemies, thoughts, people, situations. But you know, we learn that people really aren't our enemies because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We pray for our enemies. We love them. We do good to them. We bless them. Why? Because Jesus died for them too. It's not about people. Right now, right now, I think this is a word of the Lord. You think your issue is with another person, but your issue is with God. Nobody amen that? That's a difficult one, isn't it? Oh, Ed, but so-and-so and such-and-such. Man, I've met so-and-so and such-and-such. It's not about them. It's interrupted your worship. Put seeds of bitterness in your heart. Made you super hypercritical now. No, that's not God's heart for you. He wants us to be soft, moldable in his hands so that we might be vessels of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the good news that God restores, the good news that God reconciles. <laughs> and so Philistines are their enemies, notice. They gather together, verse seven. And the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Look, whenever you take a step for God, the enemies of God will always be there to push you back. They're always looking for a place in your flesh, your, the devil wanting, here you are, oh, let's, we're going to get right with you, God. We're sorry. We're, oh, what? And, and man, the enemies, they hear about that and they're not happy and they're going to press in and they're gonna press in, and they're gonna press in. The Bible calls that spiritual warfare. That we, every day, need to wake up and put the armor of God on spiritually to fight the good fight. And they're fearful, as I think we would be as the enemies come after us. It's normal to be fearful, but they also are wise. So pray for us, Samuel, pray for us. Notice verse nine. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord then if you guys like to write in your Bibles, you've got to circle this, mark this, don't forget this. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. <laughs> Every prayer that you have prayed, God answers. God hears. You come here to go, I don't know if God's listening. I don't know if he, listen, you cry out to the Lord, God will answer. He may not answer in the way that you expected and he may not answer in the timing that you desire. But you can count on this by faith. Every time you pray, God hears you in Christ. He hears you. You know, I've seen this in my own life. This is disrupting in my life, you know, and I got it from a Bible study that I taught here. So I know you guys listen to Bible studies here and my voice is in your head. I'm sorry. I live with that voice. It's always in my head. And I said something off notes not too long ago that was from my personal life that God was ministering to me and to many others, and that was this. I have found a battle in my life as of late, maybe the last five years or so. I have found a new battle arise in my life and it's simply this. It's not even a, a real complicated thing. It's that my relationship with God has become somewhat conditional on my understanding what God is doing. And remember I shared it this way. I, I, I know when I'm there, when my prayer life becomes this. I'm, I'm just driving into church and something's going on and it's on my mind, I need to get it off my mind. So I turn off the radio and I start praying. I said, Lord, I just don't understand, and then fill in the blanks. And I'm being honest with the Lord, I just don't understand. But what God has shown me is, is that part of that prayer is, I think that if I understood what was happening, I would be okay. Like if God would just explain to me, why this and why that, I don't understand. Lord, explain it to me. Almost like when you do with your kids, you know, you sit down, you get them in the face and go, okay, look, look, Ed, this is what's, what I'm doing, okay? This is exactly what's happening. You're going through this right now. You're going to go through this tomorrow so that Monday it gets even harder. Huh. What? And then what's my answer? Thank you, Lord. That's exactly what I needed to hear. No, you know what my answer is? Well, Lord, I don't understand. Why would you allow it on Monday? And why don't you? Because, and, and this is where it is in my life. And maybe you're here. I don't know. But this is where it is. I've just got this new thing in my flesh. Maybe it's been there all along and God's just revealing it now. There's this new thing in my flesh that thinks if God will just tell me what he's doing and explain it, that I'll just have some kind of peace. But that's not true. The Bible doesn't say we live by understanding. The Bible doesn't say that in our prayers God has to explain anything to us. The Bible says that we walk by faith. 
And so I can hear the answer from heaven. Ed, I'm not going to explain it to you. Well, but Lord, no, I'm not going to. Trust me. Well, I do trust you. If you explain it to me. (laughs) No, God wants us to walk by faith. He wants us to live by faith. He wants us to trust him. I mean, how many things in this room are in our lives we just don't understand? But the condition of relationship with God is not for him to explain anything to us. Because he did explain everything to us when he sent his son Jesus Christ out of his love for you and me to die on the cross for us. He, he gave us all that we ever need. That Jesus both lived, died, and rose again. Why? Not so you can get your most fulfilled life now. Not so you can accomplish all the goals that you have in life. Not so you can have all the accoutrements of the world. Not for any of those things. Jesus died and rose again to save your soul. To bring you back into a right relationship with God. That you might experience the fullness of his joy and his peace and his love in your life. And so... So I want you to be reminded that Samuel cries out to the Lord and he answers. God hears your prayers today, church. He hears your prayers. Notice as we wind down here. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. Of course. You're worshiping and the battle starts. I mean, you're ready to worship and the enemy shows up at the place of worship. Of course. Of course. We shouldn't be surprised. And the Philistines drew near, but notice, the Lord, this is verse 10, the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. God sure did answer the prayer. And this reminds me that God doesn't always answer the prayer with our options. So you come to God with option A, Lord, you can solve it this way. Or B, you can probably solve it this way. I'll take either one. But God has resources available that you don't know anything about that are far beyond your ability to figure out A or figure out B. I don't hear Samuel saying, would you just please send a thunder and confuse them? He just asked God to help. And God answers with something you couldn't predict. You don't know how he's going to work. Just trust him. Hold fast to him. And so the men of Israel went out, verse 11, pursued the Philistines and drove them back. There's victory. And then Samuel says this. He took a stone. And he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. Ebenezer saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. You know, we sang that hymn and some of you sing songs and you don't quite know what you're singing. Well, now you get to know exactly what you sing. In the second line of the hymn, it says, here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. That's right from our text today. It's referring to this stone that Samuel raises up and says, this is our Ebenezer stone. God helps us. And we have come here and experienced victory. Why? Because thus far, God has helped us. He raises up the Ebenezer. He says, don't forget that thus far, God has helped us. Don't forget that. It's true, isn't it? So many times in our lives, as we're struggling against the flesh and we're struggling against the enemy, We seek to go out in our own strength, in our own wisdom. We'll figure this out. We'll fight this battle. I'll send that email. I'll do this. I'll make that phone call. Only to find out that we get wiped out in our flesh. It's a trap. It's a trap to fight a spiritual battle in the strength of your flesh. And you will experience, if you haven't already, defeat every single time. 
These guys, they go out without seeking God and without seeking the help of God. But then Samuel comes and they re- releases them. They repent of idolatry. And God's answer is his faithfulness and his victory. We will find ourselves defeated and wiped out every time when we seek to fight the warfare in the spirit in our flesh. We don't have the power to resist temptations of the flesh. We don't have the power to walk in victory. We don't have the power in our own strength. We need the help of God. And the help of God is already ours. We have to truly rely upon God to experience his victory. And there's a vast difference between the victory of the spirit and the defeat of our flesh. There's there's this acknowledging of God. The work of God should always lead us to the worship of God. And the worship of God should always lead us to trust and faith that God has brought us such a great victory. And we look back and we say, this is a monument to what God has done. Isn't it easy to get so consumed by the difficulties and forget what God has done? He's faithful. Remember the last time you were up against something impossible? He was faithful then. Remember the last time you didn't know any way out? He was faithful then. Remember the last time you put food on the table, put gas in the car? He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. And you need to remind yourself of that. The Ebenezer Stones. My wife has begun doing that in the last few years. On purpose or not, I don't know. But it's very hard to walk through our home without being reminded of the faithfulness of God. And we have this new phrase, and so we've got all these plaques that folks have given us, and we put them in different places, because a new phrase has happened just in the last five years, the best is yet to come. And it reminds me of God's faithfulness, that yeah, it's hard and it's difficult now, but the best is yet to come. But you know, it was harder before, but it's not so hard now. It was really difficult back then, I was right on the edge of, I mean, there was times in my life, personally, where I wasn't a zero, I was minus one, minus two, minus ten. I had no idea how I'm going to get out of this. I can't figure my way out of it. I can't, and you know, the enemy's really dirty, man. He's a dirty, rotten scoundrel, the devil. And I say that out loud, devil, you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Because he loves to get you at your weakest. And he goes after you when you are below zero. And he doesn't fight clean, he fights dirty. And he goes after you, he takes you out personally. He throws lies of accusations towards you, heaps of condemnation upon you. But the Ebenezer Stone says, that's what this is. God, you're faithful, you're faithful. You have been faithful and you will be faithful and you have to be reminded of that. And so I walk through the house and there isn't a picture of my son or my family or a phrase there or something that says, you know what, Ed, it has been difficult and it has been hard and God has been there every moment and he will continue to be there every moment and if you're alive in any time in the future, God will not leave you or forsake you and you've got to set these things up in your life. It's too easy to forget. It's too easy to forget. Thus far, the Lord has helped me. Listen, thus far, the Lord has helped us. Thus far, into this very millisecond of time, thus far, the Lord has helped us. He hasn't abandoned us. And it's important that you set up these reminders so you don't forget where you came from. You don't forget the faithfulness of God. This monument is to you, Lord. I want to remember your faithfulness. God has brought me thus far. The encouraging thing about that is, (laughs) this is so good, (laughs) so wonderful, that God has not brought me this far just to drop me, just to abandon me, just say, okay, Ed, 
this was my plan for your life. I was going to bring you up to this particular age and, this, and then I'm done. You're on your own. Got you this far. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, being confident of this very thing, that what God has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in Psalm 138, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. The Bible says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, God's doing that right now. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the throne room of God. (laughs) He's doing that right now. And we raise our Ebenezer stones up to him and say, thank you, God. Hither to, what does it say? Thank you, God. I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. You've helped me thus far. And because you've helped me thus far, you're going to take me all the way. Listen, church, you set those up and you look at that Ebenezer stone every time you're discouraged. And you look at that Ebenezer stone every time you're defeated. You look at that Ebenezer stone when your body cries out in pain and you know that it's not going to leave very soon unless God delivers. You cry out to God when you're praying for that prodigal. You cry out and look at that Ebenezer stone and say, look what God has done. He has brought me thus far. And if he has brought me thus far, he's going to take me all the way. Because we are overwhelmed with life. Our own personal stuff, our own bodies, our minds, our own family stuff, we all have them, and we're overwhelmed. Besides that, I don't know if you've noticed, but this culture and this world has gone out of its mind. Out of its mind. It's just so divisive and so difficult. But you know wherever there's division, the devil is in the middle because he wants to destroy people's lives. He wants to wipe them out. And as ambassadors of the gospel, we bring the good news into the midst of division. We bring hope. We bring to another kingdom that's to come. We remind people that this isn't all there is, that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. You look at that stone. Maybe you need to get one. Maybe it's an orange chair. You can't have this one. This is ours. But there's something that you can raise up to God and say, thus far you have helped me. Maybe it's a post-it on the mirror. Maybe it's a little plaque you get at Hobby Lobby. Whatever it might be, let it be a reminder of God's presence and faithfulness in your life. So much so that even when you are faithless, he remains faithful. Let me show you one more thing and then we'll head out. Can you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is so encouraging from the life of Paul the Apostle. So beautiful. I'm so thankful for Paul. I'm so thankful for his perseverance. I'm thankful that he didn't quit when times got tough. I'm thankful that he becomes an example of what a, what a person can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. That it wasn't Paul, but it was God in Paul. Notice in verse 8 of chapter 1. 2 Corinthians, it says, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. This describes a very difficult time. Burdened, no strength, ready to leave this world, despairing even of life. Yes, 
we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Notice, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. You hear that? The things in your life are to teach us. The things in our lives are to teach us not to trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. Imagine that, the God who raises the dead. And he will raise the dead by faith. He's delivering us now. He delivered us in the past. He's delivering us now and will so deliver us and promised us the resurrection, past, present, and future. This Ebenezer stone reminds me, God has helped me in the past. He is helping me now. And this is prophetic. This is a prophecy. He's gonna help you in the future. He's promised it through Jesus Christ. <laughs> Isn't that great news? He just leave here so encouraged in the Lord. He's so grateful for his grace and his mercy. And so, Father, we are grateful today that it's, you know, even if it's just for a moment, we can, we can be encouraged and we can be built up and we can love just hearing about your faithfulness. And you know we're gonna face all kinds of crazy difficulties and we're, we're gonna, whatever, the enemy, we're worshiping and the enemy's just gonna boom, boom, boom. But you know what, God? We raise our Ebenezer today. You have helped us thus far. You're gonna continue to help us. You are faithful. You are reliable. You are trustworthy. You are our sufficiency. It's your grace that saved us. It's your grace that grows us. It's your grace that's gonna get us right into the presence of Jesus Christ. We deserve none of this. And I do pray for the body pains here today, the sicknesses. I do pray for the broken relationships. God, I do lift up the prodigal kiddos and our kids. Like we want, to, we want the next generation to rise up and be a part of a revival. That this world would be revived for these kids. So give us wisdom, Lord. Give us passion. Give us strength to do what you've called us to do until you return for us. Let us rise above the weakness of our flesh. And to live our lives in such a way that please and honor you. That we would glorify you, Lord, even in the midst of the things that are teaching us not to trust in ourselves. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I invite you to follow Jesus. He would come to you today and preach a word of repentance to you. That your greatest issue in life is your sin. Let me just say this. The good news is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. You have, I have. And because we all have sinned, the same solution is available to all. That if today you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that word is used on purpose, saved, salvation, to be rescued. You need to be rescued from the pain and penalty of sin, the wrath of God, yes the judgment of God. He doesn't want to pour out judgment on you. And he proved that to us by pouring out all of his wrath and judgment upon Jesus Christ. That today, if you'll turn away from your sins and repent of them and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you, he will. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. Today, that will be your very first Ebenezer stone. God, you brought me all the way to this place. I'm still alive and I've heard your voice and I wanna follow you. If that's you, would you just stand to your feet today? I wanna to pray with you. I wanna help you obey this verse. 
that I actually have taped up on the pulpit. We never want ever want to forget to remind you to confess Jesus Christ. Never want to forget to invite you to follow him. Whether you're here in this room or you're listening out on the radio, this is live. If you're listening on the radio, it is live right now. So you might receive Jesus Christ into your life. And I know you can't stand, but you can respond. Pull your car over if you need to. God bless you guys. I see you. Right here in the room, we get the privilege of being here with you. So respond. Like today's the day. This is the time. Already there's a battle going on. Already there's a difficulty. Already there's a fight in your mind right now for what God wants to do in your life. Surrender. Surrender. Just stand to your feet. We want to be a part of this. Today's the day, the Bible says. This is the work he wants to do in your life. And it doesn't come by understanding everything, you know. I've been living for God now for 20-something years. And I obviously don't understand everything. And I'm learning more about the depths of God's love. The width of God's love. The height of God's love. It's beautiful. Anyone else? Maybe you're downstairs. See you guys in the back. If I don't see you, don't worry about that. It's okay. And obviously, if you guys are watching on screens downstairs in the overflow or the cafe, I don't see you. God does. That's the good news. The Bible says God's eyes are going to and fro. He sees you. He loves you. And so pray with me, would you? Pray with me and and confess with your mouth the belief that you have in your heart. You can say something like this. You could say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. And I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I'm asking you, God, to help me turn away from my sinful past and to live the rest of my life to please and honor you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.